0: Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators?
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. It was January 7th, 2005. Ricky Rodriguez was overwhelmed with the frustrations of his childhood abuse. He wanted justice for all the terrible things that had been done to him and the other children he grew up with. He couldn't stand the thought of trying to move on with his life if his birth mother, Karen Zerby, one of the people responsible for his abuse, was still alive. He only had one problem. He had no idea where Karen was. He devised a plan to have his mother's old secretary over to his apartment and get her to tell him the location of his mother. But it didn't exactly go according to plan. The meeting ended with Angela laying on the floor with five stab wounds and a slit throat. What was it that Ricky had experienced that filled him with so much rage?
0: Well, welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie.
1: And I'm Ryan.
0: And before we start our show today, we have a few announcements. We want to thank our two new patrons this week. First of all, Kimberly, thank you so much for your support. And also thank you to Suri. We really appreciate your generosity and kindness.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kimberly and Suri. We appreciate it a lot. Also, we want to let you know that we've just released our second premium Patreon episode, for our $2 subscribers. And the topic is, Rosie.
0: (laughs) Henry Lee Lucas.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) if you go join our Patreon now, you'll get two bonus episodes you can't get anywhere else. So that's pretty cool. Um, The first one, by the way, was on Jared Fogle, the subway guy. So two pretty interesting cases that we've covered over there. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're one of the awesome people that listens to our podcast every week on Apple Podcasts, Uh, We want to ask you to please take a minute to leave us a review and let us know why you listen every week. We'd appreciate it so much.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing.
1: So when we left off last week, Sarah had just talked about how she would touch Davidito at nap time. But the same chapter continued on even more disturbing than before. And before we get started, we want to make sure you know this is part two. So if you haven't heard part one of Ricky Rodriguez, go back and listen to episode 41 first. And also be aware that there's a lot of hard-to-hear things in this this case. So um, listener beware.
0: Yeah, this is probably not the episode to have the kids listening with in the car. (laughs) Yes. All right. And again, I'm going to be doing this the way Sarah intended it to be. Yes, (laughs)
1: keep in mind, this is not Rosie's demeanor while reading this. This is her pretending to be Sarah.
0: All right, ready? Let's go. Daddy shared with us the importance of lubricating a little boy's foreskin and by gently coaxing, perhaps at bed or bath time, exercising the foreskin down beyond the head of the penis so it will eventually go back all the way for easy and thorough cleaning.
1: Uh, What yeah why is this such a big deal to them huh. so David Berg actually wrote in reference to this account in the book um in one of the mo letters so
0: maybe you should read it since it's his
1: yeah he wrote actually when he's big and hard and feeling good is one of the best times to do it Like, when you wash it during his bath, sort of under the guise that you're trying to make him feel good, and he'll like it. Other times, if you put a little lubricant on it, that's a big help. He'll love it. He actually gave a little more detailed advice than that, but I don't want to read that. Anyways, now he's basically giving tips on what he thinks these little kids enjoy when you're touching their private parts. I'm sorry, but that should be the last thing on someone's mind when they're cleaning a child's privates. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Well, back to the story of Davidito, the book. In Chapter 50, when Davidito was two years and seven months old, they stayed briefly in a regular commune home with the more common members of the cult. Sarah had walked in while the children of the other cult members were having a bath. And about this, she wrote... The two boys, five and six-year-old, were acting foolish and embarrassed about their penises during their bath. One said, I don't want her in here because she might see my penis. I laughed and joked with them, telling them I like sexy boys, etc. But they were all giggling and laughing, acting embarrassed about being naked in public and so conscious of their little tiny penises. I thought to myself, isn't that funny? Just yesterday, Dito and I loved up together after our bath. Ha! Huh? What a revolutionary life we do lead.
1: <sighs> and then under this writing, there was a photo of Sarah and David naked in bed together with her hand on his privates. So Ooh. <clears throat> here are these children that aren't used to uh, the same disgusting ways of life that the inner circle is. Um, They have a more normal response to an adult woman seeing them naked, and she's laughing at it and thinking they're just not as revolutionary as her. What a sick, twisted view of the world that David Berg had imposed upon his inner circle. With this, we see that it wasn't the entire cult that was involved in this pedophilia, but mainly just the inner circle.
0: Mm-hmm. So we don't want to read every passage from this book on our show, But we'll try to summarize the gist behind more of these writings. When Davidito was two years and ten months, Sarah wrote about how he would simulate sex with his stuffed animals, telling one stuffed animal which one they would be sleeping with for the night, except using the more colorful language that David Berg would often use. If one of the stuffed animals would refuse to have sex with the other, Davidito would say, Oh, you don't want to? Oh, okay, I'll do it.
1: Yeah, this is not quite normal playtime for a kid.
0: I mean, kids are curious, but he's, like, being taught from.
1: Yeah, and he was literally using (laughs) the F word. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, you don't want to F this teddy bear? Then I'll do it. It's, like, really sad.
0: Oh, terrible. Sarah also wrote about when Davida was almost two years old and she would rush into the bathroom where Davidito was going potty and flick his peony and giggle. Yeah,
1: so they were starting That's to... weird. Yeah. They were starting to break her as well, Davida, and nurture the same improper desires in her.
0: Apparently, at one point, Davidito was given a Playboy magazine, and when he saw one of the foldouts, he commented, Oh, she's pretty, and asked if he could put her up on the wall by his bed like Daddy does.
1: So he wasn't even three years old at this point, and he was allowed to look at Playboy magazines and hang foldouts on his wall. And then after he did this, Sarah jokingly said, ha, a new girlfriend. Not only were they teaching him that sex with kids was normal, but also teaching him to be a womanizer.
0: Yeah, and the sad part is is that he probably was just doing it because his dad did, and he wasn't think of, thinking of it in a sexual way, oh, just yeah. like mimicking his adult. Parent. <sighs> yeah. Later on the same night that he was looking at the Playboy magazine, he asked to take a picture of Sarah naked on the bed. So she posed behind him on the bed, and her husband, Alfred, helped him aim the camera. This picture was in the book of Davidito, right under the entry about the Playboy magazine.
1: Yeah. So ugh, I don't even need to say anything about that. Mm-mm. After this, she... um had another entry.
0: Daddy told me he wants Davidito to have all the love that he ever needed and wanted and didn't get, and thank the Lord we can enjoy sharing real loving up together. It all comes about so sweet and naturally that it makes me wonder what we all must have missed in our own childhoods. It's wonderful to be able to pour into the children all of your dreams come true. Real love, joy, and peace here and hereafter. (sighs)
1: this is so sad now knowing how this all played out she was looking at this as a dream come true for the child
0: how oh my gosh it's just how
1: (laughs) i know but as we know it's the beginning of his own personal doom we're gonna read a longer excerpt now um detailing a sharing party with davidito and this was when he was only three years and two months old
0: sarah wrote one night after a really good dinner talk by Dad on the importance of sharing, and how timity, timidity. timidity is really just pride, Dad suggested we have a communion.
1: And that's communion, like come-union.
0: He set up a place for Maria and Timothy on the floor. We had the couch, and a sister took care of sweet Alfred upstairs. So Davidito just wandered around from one group to the other for a long while. While watching all four of us in the living room, he said aloud, to try to get our attention, Ahum! I would like to play with my cars now. As if someone should stop the fun and join him. He did a few favors for Daddy, such as turn off the lights, bring us more wine. Then he went upstairs to watch Alf in action. When Dito had ever seen me with daddy before he'd always act very jealous and sometimes naughty so hoping to not offend him daddy suggested a while later that i'd better go off and find dito and pay him a little special attention now and guess where i found him sitting on the stairs peeking down at us so next he wanted his turn and as soon as i got into bed he jumped on me and said sarah love me He specifically asked for several swigs of wine and got happy real quick. So we really had a good time. Alf, Tim and mommy were outside the door listening to him, Sarah now kiss it. And then he began to laugh and laugh. Oh, it flopped in your nose. Oh, all this hair, so much hair and was pushing my hair out of his face, but kept asking for more and more love. I asked him if he was in the mood, as Daddy says, to which he asked, What's in the mood? I said, That means when you feel like it. So he answered, Oh, yes, my mood feels it, ha. We were all really surprised that he took everything so well, since at first he didn't have a playmate and is usually very jealous about sharing. But he waited his turn and was a real good boy. Ugh soon afterwards in our next location he made up for lost time with his favorite playmate david um davida he told me sarah we're gonna have to teach davida to like to f and not push me away well i'm glad she doesn't push him away all the time because the very next night i couldn't find them after dinner but then spotted them right at the top of the stairs Banging away on each other. Imagine. It's a good thing she liked it that time. Wow.
1: I'm so sorry that we had to share that on this show. It's disgusting and it feels so gross to talk about. And you'd think by now I wouldn't even be surprised, but this stuff just keeps on shocking me into disgust. I don't understand how any adult could think this way. I mean, I know cult brainwashing and groupthink is powerful, but this is just so far from okay. It's completely ridiculous. They were even giving the children wine to make them happy and get them in the mood. Mm. And the last part where she found the two kids at the top of the stairs and was so proud of them, so proud to see this little boy on top of her little baby girl, it's unbelievable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you feel while reading that?
0: I felt dirty and gross. <laughs> but I I still think it's important for people to realize what this child, this adult went through as a child. Yeah. In chapter 62, when Davidito was 3 years and 3 months of age, she began calling him David in the writings. Sarah wrote, "Several times while I was gone to Egypt, David mentioned he wished I'd hurry home to bed." The day upon my return, we had a nice picnic lunch with Alf, right by the riverside near our house. David wanted to bring a blanket and a scented candle so that we could make love, but there were too many people around, so we didn't quite get to the climax, ha? Huh? But it was a real cute idea. He's so precious.
1: How weird is it that oh my this picnic is with her husband, and then she's having sex with this kid at a park.
0: Yeah, actually with from all the stuff that I've read as Sarah, this is like one of the most frustrating and disturbing ones to me that a 3-year-old is trying to get the mood right by bringing a candle and a blanket to a picnic. It's just it's yeah. that is so messed up.
1: Yeah. She just keeps glorifying and praising him for wanting to have sex and,
0: and to say that they didn't get to climax, so they were still Like, what? If they were at a park with a lot of people around, they were still doing something? Yeah. What does that mean?
1: I don't know. Here he's just over three years old, and she talks to him like her young lover. I mean, it sounds like she's talking about a 20-year-old or something, but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: three years old, it's just
0: Disgusting. All right, to go on. (laughs) One night, when Alf and the cook were kissing and cuddling on the couch, David came into the bedroom and offered me a glass of wine, then suggested that we together go into the living room to be with Alf. We sat down together, and he said very politely that he he would prefer to have some apple juice, because he's only a little boy. And once served, then we began to love up, too. We got undressed, and he got real affectionate, trying to do just what Elf did. But when he realized he'd forgotten his toy car, he wanted to go back into our bedroom. So we finished cut- cuddling there.
1: So what really stood out to me about this part is his natural desire to want to be a child. with The apple juice and the toy car, and that's all just intermingled with casual sex. Mm-hmm. It just really puts it into perspective. The juxtaposition of the two really make it stand out how messed up this is because he's in the middle of messing around with this lady and he's like oh where's my toy car
0: that that should have been like a a trigger to the adults to think he, this is a little baby yeah him saying that he forgot his toy car like that would that should make you cry
1: well yeah it should but these adults were so they that they loved it.
0: They and we were, didn't really talk about this earlier, but when she was giving him wine, he was he's like a toddler. Yeah. Like I we didn't address that, but that I mean That's a good point. <laughs> that,
1: especially since he ended up murdering someone. I mean like we uh, talked about in the Henry Lee Lucas case, when you're alcohol it has an effect on your frontal lobe and the way your brain develops and works and can cause damage even as an adult. Mm -hmm. But that's magnified when you're a child having alcohol. So if he had access to wine and stuff like this as a child, who knows how that may have affected his development. Right. I mean, on top of all this messed up crap.
0: Yeah. It's just, there's, (laughs) there's so much... Everything about this is messed up. I can't think we could pick out one normal thing about this kid's childhood.
1: No. And it's it's so sad because he turned out to be a good person, like, besides the whole wanting to murder somebody. But um, as we'll talk about later, he really tried to turn his life around even though he was off to such a bad start. Yeah. And... He was such a cute little kid, you know? He could have been a normal person. So weird.
2: Yeah.
0: So, in the beginning, we talked about Angela Smith, the woman that he murdered in 2005. In chapter 73 of the story of Davidito, when he was three years and eight months of age, Sarah wrote about his first encounter with Angela, aka Sue. Basically, because they moved around a lot, there were many times where Sarah and Alfred were busy with packing or cleaning, and Angela was, the one of, was one of the other girls that would keep him busy by doing exactly what you're thinking.
1: Yeah, he would actually want to close the door when he was with other girls besides Sarah. But Karen Zerby told Sarah that they needed to get him accustomed to having his little sessions with the door open so he can learn more about what sharing is all about. And this is interesting to me because it seemed like he felt shame about being with any other woman besides Sarah. So he had an inborn sense of monogamy as distorted as it was. And I mean, even if it was for the person that was basically his mother, he still didn't feel right about sharing the way they wanted the cult to be hmm. you know
0: it's very i could no comment <laughs> that's just you know i can't wait till
1: we're done with this case
0: <laughs> yeah later on sarah wrote about davidito's foreskin and how he was having some pain after his bath she talked about how the foreskin hadn't receded as much as she expected with all the gentle but daily exercise that she had given it. When Davidito was four years old, David Berg wrote to Sarah about a problem the boy had been having with wetting the bed. He had her tell him that big boys can't love up if they have to wear diapers like babies, and that if he wants to do any loving up, he'd better stop wetting and get rid of those diapers. Which is so critical. Like (laughs) He was encouraging him as a baby to do this stuff, and now he's saying he's not big enough to if he wets the bed.
1: This poor kid's probably wetting the bed because of the trauma he's been put through of being sexually active well before four years old. And now this giant butthole that's sitting on the throne of this cult is shaming the poor kid over it threatening to take away the thing that they've ingrained so deeply into him as the primary source of pleasure and love, like you just said. Mm -hmm. I mean, this kid was literally raised to think that motherly love meant sexual contact. He never had a chance to have a normal maternal bond, and this piece of trash is shaming him over a bedwetting habit that isn't even his fault.
0: Mm. The last... Oh, sorry. No,
1: I'm just overwhelmed with, like, what the crap.
0: The last entry in the story of Davidito that detailed his sexual abuse was in Chapter 79, when he was four years old. This is the last entry, and he's only four, of the sexual abuse. Sarah wrote, After a good dinner and fellowship, Dad put on his cologne combed his beautiful hair, then graciously leaves the table and offers his hand to lovely Maria or one of the girls, starting off the evening with a slow number to the instrumental music that was playing during dinner. It didn't take long before everyone would join in. The girls usually dressed in pretty nighties that'd soon be shed once we all got hoppin'.
1: So, I don't know if you've seen David Berg, but he did not have beautiful hair or beautiful anything proof that Sarah was completely brainwashed and so after this it continues to talk about Davidito getting really jealous
0: David usually wanted to stay and watch but he never liked what he saw having to share his pretty mommy or me or even Alfred with others so even if other sweet helpers would take care of the children or take the children to the kitchen a while for a snack, etc., I'd eventually just take them to bed in a private lovin' upstairs.
1: (sighs) So, this is finally the end of all this trash that we're going to share on the show, but this is a really difficult story to get through. Detailing what life was like in the inner circle of David Berg and what Ricky Rodriguez's childhood was like, I can't begin to try to understand how messed up this poor guy was by the time he was 30. And all these details we shared were only up until he was four years old. So who knows what other trash he had to endure the rest of the time, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, this was a pretty big book, right? <clears throat> yeah. And the, I mean, like I said before, the ending entry was at him, at his age. I can't even talk. His age is only four. Yeah. At the end, and this book was yeah. filled to the brim with sexual encounters. And
1: we're on what, like chapter sixty-one or something? There was so many chapters in this book. It wasn't a little book. Hmm. And also full of disgusting child porn and pictures of naked adults with naked kids in bed, mm-hmm. with the adults' faces drawn over with pencil. To protect their identities It's so Disgusting So I mean it's out there If you want to go find it But hopefully It
0: is really easy to find actually Yeah hof- a lot easier than I thought
1: Hopefully with the, these cliff notes are good um, enough <laughs> Will be a good A, a way to get The uh, How should I say it
0: Get the point across
1: Yeah to get the point of all the abuse Without having to look into it yourself Because it's not easy to look at. Mm-mm. But now that we've talked about, um, we're going to start calling him Ricky mm-hmm. again. Now that we've talked about Ricky's childhood, we're going to talk about what we know about his life leading up to the murder.
0: As Ricky grew up, he started to, d- to develop a strong, deep-seated resentment towards David Berg and Karen Zerbe. The sexual abuse that he endured as a child eventually really got to him and started to eat away at him. David Berg died in 1994, and I was born, when Ricky was 19. And Karen Derby took over the leadership of the cult. Now, I remember um, this time in history really well, not because I was born, but because I just read a book about this cult. Oh, yeah. And I read about Floor Edwards, and she was... Um, maybe like ten in nineteen ninety four and she remembers quite clearly when David had died and everybody was flipping out because it was already ten years later than the apocalypse should have been. Uh, yeah. Something like that. And and um David Berg died and they were just like, Well, now what? you know, because Karen was not quite the leader that David was. Yeah. And you... it really started to fall apart after that.
1: Think about dedicating your entire life to this cult and handing over all your material possessions and all this time basically, your entire life to this cult. And then he says that there's an end date, Mm -hmm. you know, like most cults have an end date and that comes and goes. And then they keep looking to him for another 10 years. Like, okay.
0: Do you know what his excuse was for the end date? What? They were doing such a good job that God had given them another like 10 years to gather even more souls Ugh. or something like that. So. Yeah. The book was very interesting and Karen was trying to be much more of a dictator, but it just did not work out for her. Not for the floor in her family that I read about.
1: It really shows how much pride she had. Like, to not be like, well, now that he's gone, I'm just going to let people know this is all BS. And
0: Can I grab my book really quick? Because I highlighted some stuff I yeah. want to read.
1: So Rosie went and got her book. Um, <laughs> what's the title of the book?
0: The book is called Apocalypse Child, and it's by Floor Edwards. And she was a member, a child member okay. of this cult. She was born into it. And the Little excerpts I'm going to talk about are when they got mama Maria's newsletter that father David had died. And when they got it, it, he had already died several months earlier, but the leadership didn't want to say anything until his annual birthday celebration. So he died one year after the projected date of the great apocalypse. So that was kind of a big deal. (laughs) Um, everybody was flipping out. But once it was known that Karen was going to be the new leader, she ordered everyone to fast and read the new book of instructions. And they were all to finish it before Father David's birthday on February 18th. So they had this new book that was called The Charter that everybody read cover to cover. And the charter dictated that instead of bigger commune homes, They would be functioning as small houses rather than large with intertwined communities. Leadership would no longer have the ultimate decision regarding how they lived their lives. They would be deciding where they would live and who they would want to to live with. So David pretty much had it figured out exactly where you were going in the whole world. He would just pick you up and throw you to a different country and who you're going to live with.
1: Well, and didn't he also make a schedule for the sharing parties too? Like...
0: I don't know. Flora doesn't talk about that in her book, but she's a kid, so. Yeah. And she never was sexually abused. That was later in the timeline. So she didn't have to worry about that. It was more discipline for her.
1: That's right. Um, At a certain point, this cult completely stopped abusing children, and they kind of cleaned it up because they didn't want to get shut down.
0: These are the... kind of the weird strict rules that Karen made up (laughs) so adults were allowed one serving of alcohol per week either four ounces of red wine or six ounces of beer okay that was the rule 16 year olds were allowed to have sex with 18 year olds and 18 year olds were allowed to have sex with 21 year olds but 16 year olds could not have sex with 21 year olds okay also, the rules dictate dictating a home would be for consenting adults age of 16 or older. That would be considered a home, and that home would remain as part of the family as long as they t- gave 10% of their income to the family and continue to witness and would stay updated to the monthly readings of the family mailing sent out by Mama Maria. So, huh. That was kind of interesting to me.
1: (laughs) That's such interesting rules to have to make. But she
0: did claim that after Father David died, he was really the glue that kept the whole family together, and that's when a quiet sort of anarchy started, hmm. and everything started to fall apart.
1: Yeah. Well, the weird part is that they still are around today as the Family International, and... I mean, they've never had to answer for what they did to this poor guy. But thanks, Rosie, for sharing that insight into (laughs) Floor's experience. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness she didn't um, experience the same kind of abuse that David, or I'm sorry, Ricky did. Mm -hmm. But so we... We kind of went off on that tangent after we were talking about how David died in 1994. And around this time, Ricky started seeing how messed up this cult was and began rebelling against the beliefs and practices of his mother. He had been protesting for years um, the unnatural, the terrible way that he was raised. And he finally decided to leave the children of God who was now called the Family International, as I uh, mentioned, in 2000. So Mm -hmm. six years after David Berg died, Ricky finally made up his mind he was going to find a way out of this place.
0: He moved to California, still remaining a part of the family because he'd been a part of it his entire life and really had no idea how to integrate into the real world.
1: Yeah, so think about this. He had never been taught how to get a job and work for money to pay for a place to live and general living expenses because all that had been taken care of him. And, I mean, we often hear about how difficult it is to leave a cult, and this is one of the reasons. You become dependent on them, especially when you live in the communal compounds and when you're the Messiah who was waited on hand and foot your entire life.
0: In 2001, he was finally able to leave for good with his fiance, Alexia Garcia. He declared to his mother that we cannot continue to condone or be part of what we feel is an abusive, manipulative organization that teaches false doctrine. You have devoured God's sheep, ruining people's lives by propagating false doctrines and advocating harmful practices in the name of God. And as far as I can see, show no regret or remorse.
1: Uh, so, Ricky was a really smart person. He was able to see how terrible this cult's practices were, even after spending his entire life there, and this being all he knew. I can't help but feel for him over this immense frustration he must have felt when his own mother would show no remorse over the injustices and abuse. I mean I have a hard time feeling misunderstood with my mom over things that are so tiny in comparison to this. Oh so boy. The frustration and rage he must have felt over this had to be overwhelming.
0: Ricky and Alexia got married after leaving the cult and settled in Washington State near Seattle. They hoped this fresh start would help them would help them put the past behind them.
1: Hakuna matata, right? Well, it's not that simple not after a lifetime of abuse.
0: Ricky became increasingly consumed by rage over the abuse that he suffered, and even more enraged with the abuse that hundreds of other children raised in the family had suffered. He got deeply depressed over the whole situation, and his mission in life became finding his mother and bringing her to justice. In October of 2004, he heard his mother had visited Tucson, Arizona, And wanting to find her more than anything else in the world, he moved down there on a whim.
1: As far as I can tell, his wife, Elixia stayed back in Seattle. Uh, She was probably terrified of what he was planning to do, you know. Mm -hmm. But in Tucson, he worked as an electrician and was actually a really reliable and good employee.
0: In 2005, January, like we described in the beginning of this series... Ricky arranged for Angela Smith to come visit him. He made a video where he talked about all the injustices he and his peers in the cult had to endure.
1: His focus was actually more on the other children and being kind of a vigilante for them, for the justice of the others. He was willing to sacrifice himself to make the future of the other children better, and in his mind, this was the way to do it. But sadly... It didn't end up the way he wanted it to.
0: Ricky never made it to his mother and instead ended up killing Angela, as we described last week.
1: Yeah, which as much as we can't blame Ricky for this, it's still terrible mm-hmm. that he took someone's life. Like, someone should never be murdered in any case, Period. you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions where you could convince me that the death penalty is probably a good idea, but, like, you know, it's such an extreme thing. And I think that it's better punishment for someone to sit in jail and think about what they did than to just die.
0: Yeah, I go back and forth on that all the time.
1: Oh. I don't know why I'm turning this into talking about the death penalty. So, back to Ricky. Um, Now we're going to talk about... What happened after he killed Angela?
0: As we described in the beginning, Ricky Rodriguez ended up taking the life of Angela Smith after being unable to find out where his mother was. After he fled his apartment, he jumped into a silver Chevy Cavalier and headed north on one—is that I-10 or what? Yeah, Interstate 10. Okay. I-10 towards Phoenix. At 7.15 p.m., as he drove, he called his wife Alexia, When she picked up?
1: That's Elixia. You have an interesting accent that makes it sound like Alexia, but it's Elixia. It is it. We want to get her name right because she is one of the victims in this story as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought I was saying it like that, but I just Uh, think you just have a a thick old northern accent.
1: You're a Nord.
0: Uh, Hot dish. (laughs) Okay. That's not even right. All right. Okay. When she picked up, he told her, Killing somebody is harder than I thought it would be. His voice shook, panicked, and distraught.
1: Yeah, so he obviously wasn't the type of person that enjoyed taking a life. And he most likely would have never become a murderer if not for the horrible things that had been done to him.
0: Ricky told Elixia, right? Ricky told Elixia how even as Angela was bleeding out, she still would not acknowledge that she had done anything wrong to him.
1: And uh, not feeling understood is such a frustrating feeling to have. I can't imagine what Ricky was feeling here, but I also can't help but pity Angela because she was sucked into this culty group, group think that really took control of her life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are so many victims in this story, but...
0: yeah. Maybe that just contributes to just how brainwashed she was, that she really, truly believed that she hadn't done anything wrong to him.
1: I know. And I feel bad for Elixia, too, in this.
0: Oh, in the interview that we watched, too. Remember how sad uh, she
1: was? Yeah. She And I just can't imagine getting this phone call from him and him being so distraught and just the concern and terror that she would feel Mm -hmm. being on the phone and feeling completely helpless.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: After this phone call, Elixia actually called the police to report this murder, but apparently they blew her off saying he was providing unreliable information.
1: I, I don't even understand how this scenario could play out where someone would call the police to report a homicide and get brushed off You'd think that would be investigated within minutes.
0: A little later, Ricky pulled into a rest stop and called his wife again. This time he was crying as he told her, I don't want to die here. There's too much light. I don't feel comfortable.
1: So Elixia, like I said, must have felt so frustrated and helpless listening to her husband contemplate suicide over the phone from thousands of miles away.
0: Yeah, what torture... I can't even imagine. She's so far away from him. She can't jump in the car and come to his aid.
1: Yeah, and she already tried calling the police, and they didn't do anything.
0: Ricky made his way to Blythe, California, sometime after 10 p.m. He checked into a Holiday Inn Express. In room 109, he cleaned himself up, drank some beers, and ate some jerky. But he was too restless to sleep. After midnight, He got back into his car and drove about three-fourths of a mile and parked into the driveway of the Palo Verde Irrigation District Office, an industrial area.
1: This area was most likely completely dead between midnight and 2 in the morning when he arrived there because it was an industrial area.
0: His wife never heard from him again. Around 2 a.m., he put his phone down in the center console of his car picked up his Glock handgun, and shot it right into his right temple.
1: What a rough end to the life of this person who never really had a chance. He was raised as a sex object and as the Messiah of this nasty cult. This would have been an unbelievable amount of pressure to put on a child, just the Messiah part alone, but then to sexually abuse him it's horrible, mm-hmm. and look what it led to.
0: Sexually abuse him day after day, probably on occasion, hour after hour. Yeah,
1: and it it hurt him so deeply that that was all he could think about in his adult years. Even after he escaped the cult and got a job and integrated into the normal world, he still all he could think about is how messed up his childhood was mm-hmm. and how. These people never got punished and never had to pay for hurting all these children like this.
0: Ricky was discovered by a man arriving for work around 7 a.m. The coroner showed up about a fourth to—a fourth?
1: A quarter to 10.
0: (laughs) Yes, a quarter to 10 a.m. At 9.49, Ricky's phone rang, and Detective Sergeant, Sergeant Wade answered, It was Elixia. Hearing the strange man's voice, she asked, Is he dead? Because they were unable to make a positive ID yet, he told her they were simply investigating the death of a male subject. But when she heard this, Elixia lost it and began crying hysterically.
1: So this poor woman not only had her childhood ruined by David Berg's cult, but lost her husband because of the terrible things that they had done to him. She's another huge victim of this disgusting cult, and I personally wonder if Ricky may have been trying to save the world from himself. You know, after seeing all the terrible things David Berg did, and Ricky's childhood was a million times more messed up than David Berg's, whether he was worried he may end up just like his dad, or was just so destroyed over not being able to get the justice that he deserved... Either way, he didn't want to live, and it's such a devastating and sad situation.
0: Mm, I haven't thought about it that way. That's a good point, Ryan.
1: Thank you. So, this episode really isn't about the children of God, but it's more about the personal story of Ricky Rodriguez, a.k.a. Davidito. But we do want to explore a little bit about the history of the cult and its founder, David Berg.
0: David Berg's passion for religion had roots long before he was ever born. It actually stemmed from his ancestors way back in 1750, who migrated from Germany to America. Berg's grandfather was of the Brandt family, who were deeply committed Christians in the Dunkards, which was an offshoot of the Church of the Brethren. David Berg's grandfather, Dr. John Lincoln Brandt, became a Christian in his mid-twenties, and ended up as a leader of the Disciples of Christ. But Berg's mother, Virginia Brandt, had the largest influence on David religiously. Despite being raised a Christian in college, Virginia became an atheist and a wild society girl.
1: So I had to look up what a society girl was and couldn't really find anything official, but according to Urban Dictionary, it can be summed up. By the names Paris Hilton or Nicole Richie, <laughs> perfect
0: source, Urban Dictionary.
1: <laughs> that's the only. That's the first <laughs> result. Basically, I'm guessing it's a partier with a lot of money. I'm not sure about. um
0: Or a dummy, dum dum.
1: The money situation here, but if any of our listeners have more knowledge of that, let us know. Okay. A dummy, dum dum. <laughs> I think it's more to do with the partying aspect, but... Yeah. um, So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Her new lifestyle included a lot of drinking and partying, and she became depressed. Eventually, she turned her life around and started working for a mission meant to help save the souls of wayward young women.
1: Keep in mind, this is David Berg's mother. um, David Berg, the founder of the Children of God. After this she met her soon to be husband. Hjalmer. Jalmer. Shalmer?
0: I think it's Jalmer, because that was my great grandpa's name. Oh really? <laughs> Is
1: that how I spelled it?
0: I don't know, but I'm looking at it and I think I might be right.
1: Okay. Jalmer. <laughs> Shalmer. <laughs> Shalmer Berg. Virginia <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a funny name. Virginia married him after he converted to the Disciples of Christ, and they went on to have a child together in 1913 named Hjalmar yeah, Jr. just Hjalmar.
0: <laughs> Great-grandpa Jelmer.
1: I like... Are you sure that's how he spelled it?
0: No, I'm not sure.
1: I like the H. Hjalmar. Okay.
0: So it's like,
1: wh- what? I'm sorry. I'm getting sick of this case. <laughs> so you continue. <laughs>
0: It wasn't too long until she slipped on ice and broke her back, ending up bedridden for five years. This would become the origin story for the religious legacy of the Berg family. The legends she told was that she was paralyzed and close to death for five years, but one morning in 1918, she was miraculously and suddenly cured, stood up and got out of bed.
1: So according to Virginia, this was the moment that made her and Jelmer true believers in Christ. But her father was pretty skeptical of this because it didn't fall in line with the doctrine of the Disciples of Christ movement, which he was involved in.
0: This led to Virginia and Jelmer getting shunned by the Disciples of Christ, but they found a new home in the Christian and Missionaries Alliance. Virginia became the living proof for the people that wanted to believe in the possibility of God's miraculous interventions in their life.
1: I just want to hear you say, Has you, Elmer?
0: I will never.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm probably annoying a lot of people right now and I'm sorry. So David Berg saw his mother as a chosen one of God. Uh, her recovery was just one year before David's birth in 1919. So to him, this meant that he also had a destiny of greatness. And this became a huge centerpiece of David's own religious origin story many years later, and it was how he justified his right to rule over the children of God. So that was how David became a religious leader. But how did he become the founder of one of the world's worst sex cults?
0: Well, as David was growing up, his parents' focus wasn't so much on raising their children as it was on the ministry of their religious movement. So David was often left in the care of his nanny, Maria. When David was only three years old, Maria began sexually abusing him and molesting him at bedtime to get him to fall asleep. Later on, later on in David's life, he would use these events as justification for his own actions. Basically, his reasoning amounted to I was sexually active as a child, and I turned out great. So we should do it to everyone.
1: So here it is, a prime example of the cycle of abuse. This nanny took this one relatively small action of molesting the young boy compared to the rest of this story. I don't say relatively small to minimize the impact of it, but just compared to everything that it actually led to, it was Quote unquote, relatively small. But this was most likely the root of this whole disaster. You know, mm-hmm. it's the phenomenon commonly referred to as the butterfly effect. Although, um, I don't want to ruffle any feathers by getting the butterfly effect theory wrong. So instead, I'll reference a more simple proverb that has origins all the way back to the 13th century, but was popularized by Benjamin Franklin. It's, um, For want of a nail, I don't know if you've heard of it. I have not. Do you want to read that?
0: Sure. (laughs) For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message, the the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want... Of a horseshoe nail. What?
1: So, so (laughs) (laughs) let me explain. Okay. Um, So I don't want to beat a dead horse here. No pun intended. But this cycle of abuse started with his nanny abusing him and led to a cult full of sexual abuse and eventually a murder-suicide. And In other words, one small thing led to, do you get it? Because they didn't put the nail in the horseshoe, the um, kingdom was lost.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: I feel like you're not getting it, but everyone else should probably get it. And Okay. <laughs> I know you're tired.
0: I'm just going to go with it. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm.
1: But this is why abuse is so dangerous, and I wish there was more history of this nanny, because I wonder if she was abused herself. It's interesting because Karen Zerbe, David Berg's wife, was commonly referred to as Maria. And I don't think this is a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Maria was the name of the nanny that touched him, who he used as justification of touching so many other children. Right. And then he ended up calling his wife Maria. So even if this act didn't directly cause what David Berg did, it was his way of justifying it to many of his members and helping convince them to join in on the nasty activities so either way it had an impact on it and this was actually mentioned in the story of davidito one of the um the the same chapter as when sarah first had straight up intercourse with um ricky she quoted david berg and wrote this disturbing passage
0: all right here i go God made children able to enjoy sex, so he must have expected them to. I did. All my life. Thank God I love it. And it didn't hurt me any. Nearly all kids do anyhow, despite prohibitions. And the only reason the system frowns on it, or frowns on it, is that the churches have taught sex is evil, which is contrary to the Bible. How could God create How could God created sexual enjoyment be a sin? The system is really screwed up. God help us. They're the ones not normal.
1: Yeah. So I've commented on this guy's crap enough on this episode, but just let that thinking sink in. I can't even put into words how messed up this is, but hopefully you already understand what I'm thinking and feeling. It's so enraging and frustrating that this all happened the way it did.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Sadly, no one was ever prosecuted for the crimes against these children. And this is partially why Ricky Rodriguez felt so incomplete. He could never get any type of justice for what had happened to him. He had to just try to move on and live a normal life, which is pretty difficult for someone who was raised as a messiah in a sex cult.
1: So, we're finally done. And that was one of the worst stories we've ever told, which takes a lot because we've talked about some really messed up things, but child abuse, murder, and suicide, it's a tragedy, Mm -hmm. but we hope to have been a voice for this poor guy who never got justice. This case really needs as much coverage as it can get because all this information is out there, but no one has ever been held responsible, and it's a disgrace. Mm Mm-hmm. Ricky had to die in vain and David Berg got to die in peace. How sad is that? And David Berg knew he'd never be held responsible for what he'd done to Ricky and all the hundreds of other abused, abused children. And like, think they're, they're telling people to use the book of Davidito as a child raising manual. Yeah. And I wonder how many other children were abused because of that book.
0: Well, there was a decent number, I'm sure. Especially when we watched the interview about those people that were talking at his funeral. Oh yeah. And one of his friends was talking about all the people that kept took their own lives.
1: This was at Ricky's funeral?
0: Yeah. And so Oh,
1: that's right. Several other people have.
0: Yeah. we also got to see Davida and man, she's not looking good. She looks real rough. Yeah. She was working as a stripper. She's mm-hmm. had a hard time. Yeah.
1: But at least we can drag this monster's name through the mud, David Berg, and be a voice for Ricky. Because, yeah, I don't think we even really need to tell you why. That's,
0: <laughs> at this point? Yeah.
1: But now you probably realize what we mean when we say this guy's a monster. Yeah. But Okay. Well let's purge that from our (laughs) systems. i can't wait to be done editing this Mm because then i'm never listening to this episode again
0: (laughs) yeah yeah this one was a rough one i don't think i want to listen to it either yeah because i don't want to hear myself say all these things
1: i know i started listening (laughs) to the one from last week and i turned it off halfway through because i was like i already heard this i don't need to hear it again Mm. so (laughs) hopefully uh we don't scare off our listeners with this one, but um, and that's why we gave the disclaimer at the beginning. Because if it is too much for you, it's okay to turn it off. Yeah. But if you if you're listening to this, then congratulations, you've made it to the end. Um, it was tough, but at least now we have a a better picture of what happened to this guy that ended up murdering. Mm-hmm. An old lady. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, do you have any announcements or things you want to talk about?
0: I don't have many announcements. It's been, it's currently Sunday right now, and we just had my brother staying with us for the weekend. Yeah. So I'm just like,
1: pretty tuckered out.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. We just saw Aquaman today.
1: I didn't see it.
0: No, me and my brother did um well guys thought I was gonna like it Uh, the the octopus playing drums was pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I I thought man Aquaman is a good-looking piece of meat but after watching the movie I'm now like oh you're not as cool as I thought (laughs)
1: Yeah, and then you came home and I watched, like, a 15-minute video on why Marvel is better than DC.
0: I never said DC was good. I just wanted to see Aquaman. (laughs) I've never really had an opinion about either. But being married to you has forced me to like Marvel better. And I do. I I would.
1: Everyone likes Marvel better.
0: So anybody who hasn't seen Aquaman, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I don't even remember most of it. (laughs) I just saw it.
1: I'm curious if... Like, I'm sure there's a large portion of our listeners that couldn't give a crap about comic book movies.
0: If you saw Aquaman. Which though, is
1: completely understandable.
0: Didn't you think that Mira should have been named Ariel? She had the red hair
1: and, and she the was blue basically eyes. A mermaid.
0: Yes. I was like, come on, we might as well just go with the theme.
1: Copyrights. <laughs> I
0: don't
1: know. Um, I don't think they can.
0: And remember the crab war? I mean, they were shooting bombs at these giant red crabs. Hey, wait, spoiler alert. No, it wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, okay. And I was like, to my brother, I was like, hey, you think they're shooting off tubs of garlic butter? (laughs) 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 Yeah, I got a good laugh out of that one. (laughs)
1: That was really good. Thanks. Uh,
0: (laughs) So that's all I'm going to say about (laughs) (laughs) Aquaman.
1: Oh, now I want seafood. Yeah. Okay, well... I have some sad cat news. What? This morning I was walking to the kitchen and I heard a loud little shriek and realized that I stepped on Burrito's little foot. Oh, yeah. And I I felt really bad and he ran away from me and then he was scared of me. And, but I think he's okay. He's fine. I just feel bad. That's good. I hope his foot's okay. Did you
0: feel worse? When I like pretended to be him and cry and held him yeah, like a baby.
1: Then, yeah, I deserved it. Mm-hmm. Shame. Anyway, I he bet. he does a walk right in front of me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like every morning I get out of bed and he's like and then he walks in front of my <laughs> he walks in front of me every step like If I go to the right, he'll move in front of me, and then I'll try to go to the left, and he'll move in front of me again. And he wants me to put dry food in the dish for him and Zucchini, the two black cats. And then after I fill the dishes, he'll look up at me, and he'll want me to pick him up and snuggle with him for a bit. And then after, like, 10 seconds of snuggling, then he looks back down at the food, and he's like, time to go down.
0: Is that what he says? Yep. Time to go down. (laughs)
1: Um, uh, I forgot to give the the. If you don't want to hear us talk about our cats, you can leave now. It's okay. Warning, but all right, we'll wrap it up there. Um, like we said at the beginning, we have a new Patreon premium exclusive mm-hmm. episode out mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Rosie
0: on Patreon.
1: On um, I know, but what's the topic?
0: Oh, <laughs> Henry Lee Lucas.
1: <laughs> I don't know why I always have you say know. it but
0: And we also got new mugs whoop, whoop. Oh yeah They're really cool, they're way better than the last round And I'll tell you why It's because I made them
1: <laughs> Yes, you did
0: So if you want them did a much better job than I did They're pretty expensive to make right now Because we can't buy like a hundred at a time So we're selling them for twenty A piece Let us know if you want one
1: Yeah, if you are interested in buying one First, go check out our Instagram page where you can see a picture of it because it's pretty nifty looking. And um, at this time, we're just doing like a DM-based through PayPal. And um, then we'll send them to you. Or if you become a a patron, there's a tier where you can get a mug. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah, anyway that's about it yep you can follow us on instagram at vov podcast you can follow us on twitter at vov pod and you can email us at vov podcast at gmail.com
2: yeah that should wrap it up
1: (laughs) all right thank you guys so much for listening uh take care of yourselves hopefully try to recover from this disgusting episode and we'll talk to you next week
2: many true crime podcasts available, each offering a different perspective to the genre, each with their own niche that pulls the listener in by tugging at their heartstrings or their funny bone in one way or another. What we aim to do with Status Pending is make you think. We want you to feel as though you're connected to the case. We want you to feel something. The cases we're going to cover have discrepancies of some sort and may or may not be well known. They are either unsolved, prematurely closed, or open without any solid leads. We want to get these stories out to the public, for the family, and for the victims. Join us every month for a different case, which will be a different chapter in our podcast, as we take a three-part look into the facts. We'll have interviews, expert opinions, and more. And we'll also be looking for suggestions from you for cases to take on as we move forward. You can email us at statuspendingpodcasts at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen to podcasts.